Hello and welcome to The Naked Scarf. I'm Adam. And I'm Andy. And in this episode we're going to be looking at Carnival of Monsters. So, Andy, you give us your plot synopsis. You've still not got my theme music. I might do, I might just slip it in there quietly. I did tell you I, I downloaded a cover of the Canine Company theme tune the other day, right? <laughs> I can live with that. Okay, right, Carnival of Monsters, uh, featuring uh, our kick-ass third doctor and uh, lovely Joe Grant. And basically, the TARDIS materialises um, once again, uh, another episode where it materialises aboard a ship, and they soon work out that something isn't quite right, and it turns out that the little ship is actually inside a machine that is being used uh, by a, a, a cosmic carny. There, that's a lovely phrase, isn't it? Cosmic carny. Um, who... Um, shouldn't technically have it because it has been made illegal um, on uh, also thanks to uh, the Doctor's intervention and it, it traps many creatures inside it and um, yes, um, uh, whilst he's trying to get it uh, through um, intergalactic uh, customs into a particular country um, he almost gets it uh, destroyed um, uh, for importing illegal aliens and uh, yes, yeah, so this is basically just fun and frolics as uh, the Doctor and Joe try to figure out how to uh, get out of the machine, which uh, is, is actually slowly um, uh, breaking down, and uh, save all the other uh, people and cute little monsters that reside within. There's also a lot of uh, political manoeuvring going on outside of the scope with the, with the aliens. We ne like I said, we're never actually given the name for them, are we? They're, just, they're kind of blue-grey and bald. Yes, not particularly impressive aliens as far as Doctor Who goes. They, uh, they, they, they seem to have um, coloured in their faces um, with grey and then kind of, it, it just looks like the actors kind of forgot about it and rubbed their eyes and so they've got like, you know, little bits of pink skin around their eyes and their mouth. And... But there's basically three of them, I can't remember their names, I've told their head. One of them is played by Michael uh, Wisher who went on to play Davros. One of them is the brother of the the president, he's trying to overthrow him, and he tries to overthrow him by releasing the Drashings, who are these big hand puppets. Oh, um, they're so cute! I mean, in a sort of terrifying way, but they're fantastic. Like, we didn't actually realise until we watched the making of that they were puppets they, for the time. They looked like really good. Okay, fine, you knew, smarty pants. They make uh, really good uh, sort of monsters, and, and and when I watch it back, I can now see the sort of movements and stuff. Like, there's one where it dies, and it's like... You know when you do that uh, typical, you, you're pretending that you've got a hand puppet on and you're making it die and you sort of do that thing where it kind of goes and then your wrist sort of goes upside down and, and it, you can totally tell. I don't do that a lot. <laughs> I, I I'll do. take your word for it completely. But I, I, I do can't. too often. I, I quite often imagine that I have a hand puppet. You know, no one could actually see the movements you were doing while you were doing explanation. We're on audio, not video. Oh yes, of course. It does make much more sense with the uh, with the hand movements. I'm still doing them now in a in a fruitless attempt to explain. They are great monsters, actually. And I think, as I said to you, while watching it, they they look good, for, particularly for the time and you know, the, the, as always, the budgetary restrictions. They do look pretty good. In fact, they look about as realistic as some of the CGI monsters that Doctor uses now. Definitely. It, they were saying that they used um, dog skulls uh, to. Uh, actually make them um, look a bit scary and, and say so all the big teeth are actually real uh, which is, is a bit terrifying actually it came from a spaniel or something or, or, or some small fox yappy terrier. dog fox, fox terrier. terrier small yappy dog and you never exactly realise how freaking scary their teeth actually look in skeletal form and it's, it's kind of ooh. yeah I'm not going to get too close to one of those it's Bob Holmes who one of the best writers of the original series certainly one of the most consistently good 
it's it's interesting actually because this quite shows off his versatility uh, versatility as a writer because this is a quite a light fun adventure yet this is a man who also wrote Caves of Androzani which is one of the few successful attempts to do grim and gritty in Doctor Who and actually get away with it yes Explore, I mean it's quite typically what Doctor Who fans refer to sometimes as typically Holmesian in that you've got your double acts uh, you've also got your kind of scheming bureaucrats which is something he looks at a bit more in uh, Sunmakers but it's got a lot of good lines it, it's quite it's a very knowing story Borg the Cosmic Carney has got a lot of lines that about uh, the drashings being great favourites with children and making the humans or tell them, or what, what does he refer to the humans as? It's, it's like Terrans, but not quite. But he has a line about uh, controlling them because all the people in the miniscope are kind of stuck in this. It's not quite a time loop, but they're just kind of programmed to repeat the same actions or repeat the same I don't know, 20 minutes loop of time. He talks about making them act in an amusingly violent way. So it's quite, you know, it's quite a wink at the audience. Yes, and there's a very good uh, uh, speech by the third Doctor where he's uh, going on about the uh, people coming up to to see the show. Roll up, roll up. He does that great perp, we are roll, which yeah. I love when he rolls his R's. And, um, you know, saying, come, you know, see the attractions, poke the monsters. And Joe's going, oh, stop it. And he says, no, I'm as angry as you are, really. Um, and, yes, he's, he's saying... Uh, drawing comparisons to having a goldfish in a bow and um, and he said you know even that or zoos are a questionable practice but uh, would you say the story is anti-zoo because it's interesting I don't know actually know what Robert Holmes' own beliefs were but um, if you think about it another story wrote The Two Doctors admittedly actually not a great example of his writing but by the end of that story he has the doctor turned vegetarian Yes, yeah, so it would be interesting if, actually to find out if... Uh, I think I've got a docu- on, the, on the extras that I haven't watched yet because I tend to get the DVDs, what's the main story and then slowly watch the extras over time, not yeah. all at once. But I'm, I think I've got at least one documentary about, about uh, Robert Holmes and it might be worth watching to see because it would be interesting to know if it's, it's... You're right, it's not a major thing. It's just a couple of things the Doctor says throughout the story where he doesn't seem to approve of zoos. No, and and I can understand why as well. In, in, it makes a lot of sense for the character if, if you are the Doctor and you do travel throughout the galaxy and you meet a lot of different species. And I, I guess that you'd sort of be, and, and the Doctor indeed does seem to um, have a, a sort of hope for some sort of equality between uh, those species because uh, in their sphere of experience, uh, why just because one species is more intelligent for another, why does it mean, you know, just, just from the Doctor's own particular personal belief, I'm, I'm not sort of saying anything else, I should declare an interest here too. I'm, I'm a vegan, and I know a lot of mad vegans. I'm not a mad vegan, but I do know some mad ones. And um, and yeah, so I, I quite like the Doctor's pro-vegetarian stance. But it kind of goes by the time of the ninth Doctor. It does. He's, he's yeah, ordering steak. It does. I, I should point out just uh, so you know that we have balance in this show. I'm I'm an unreformed meat eater. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I do so respect it's very the. I, I do respect the uh, vegan point of view. For every cow I don't eat, Adam has another. No, I'm joking. This is, this is true. I, I, I balance <laughs> it exactly like that. Uh, I do. Would like to say I do have a lot of respect for the viewpoint. You know, it's not something I, I do. Even though I do take the piss of it a lot. Yes. Piss out of it, I should say rather. That's because his girlfriends are vegan too. So yeah, I'm outnumbered half the time. Gotta wind up the girlfriend. Sorry, Lauren. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Uh, she's she's one of our biggest fans. <laughs> um, actually, it's interesting you say about the Doctor being against zoos, because if you think about it, and actually I was going to bring up this point anyway, where this story comes is immediately after the three Doctors. Yes. So the Doctor has just had his own exile lifted. So he's been trapped on Earth. Yes, for, yeah. Probably feeling much like an animal in a zoo when you have you know the whole of time creation. 
to spend and then you just spend it in one time period in one place. So it's he would be, I imagine that doctor would particularly have anti-zoo feelings. Yeah, actually, that's, a, that, that's very deep. Congratulations. <laughs> I have my moments. Uh, actually, what's also interesting is that this is the first time, because even though the Doctor has travelled uh, into space in previous seasons, the third Doctor, it's always been at the request of the Time Lords or doing a mission for them. But this is the first time we've seen since, actually, Series 6 with Patsy Troughton, where the Doctor just stumbled into something accidentally and got involved. Because all the other previous stories have been unit missions or yes. Time Lord missions. This is the first time he just goes wandering and he gets into trouble straight away again. But we actually haven't seen that for about three, four years in the series but history. I this tell point. you, it must have been quite a nice change when it did happen. Quite a, a nice uh, let up from oh, the yeah. intensity of, of the unit stories, I guess. It, 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 we've been said a lot, actually, that it is a, a very nice, you know, easy to follow, um, fun but we have a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Yeah. It isn't very typical of Pertwee stories of the time. I mean, this was a time in the program's history where they're starting to phrase out unit a little bit. Yes. Like, um, I mean, unit, even in, in series 10, I think they only appear in Three Doctors and The Green Death, or the first and last story, or the other uh, ones in between. This, Frontier in Space, Planet of the Daleks. They're all out in space, which is quite different for the program at the time. Yeah. But yeah, it's a very slow start of the end of the Pertwee era. It's so it funny, was... actually, because this was full of a lot of um, close-up shots of uh, Pertwee's face, like uh, reaction shots, which gave me a lot of time to ponder why he's so high up on my Yeah, I Would list of the Doctors. Because close-up, his face isn't actually that... I feel like a traitor for saying this. Symmetrical. <laughs> He's got an interesting face. It's he has of, an interesting it, it, it face. Maybe like that is why travelled. I like him so much, actually. He, he does have a, a bit of the Silver Fox thing going on. I mean, I have told you that he's he's my dad's favourite Doctor. And we, we've talked, I've talked about this with my dad. And, I'm and sorry, Adam's dad. He, I, my, I told my parents about this podcast the other day, actually, and that they're just like, we, do, we don't have the internet. <laughs> they don't really know what a podcast is, but it's fine. Fair enough. I told my parents and they almost made me get help. But uh, as I was just, Anyway, as I was saying, yeah, this is, Pertwee's always been my dad's uh, favourite Doctor, and I remember him telling me once why, and it's actually a scene from the Sea Devils, where the the Master Doctor sword fight, and he was yes. saying, he said, and then, then he holds him at Bay of Sword while eating a sandwich, and he went, and that's style, <laughs> which I think has proven to be a great, influ- far greater influence on me than I would ever admit when it came to this. Yeah, it's, it's true, actually, he does have a lot of style. I, I always liked uh, uh, his costume. And I always like the fact that he's not afraid to put his fists up, as he does again in this episode. Yeah, he's one of the few doctors the you can really imagine trying to, 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 to uh, do a boxing match. The only doctor. What's interesting is, I don't think Pertwee really gets a lot of credit these days. I think he, he's... Which is odd, because uh, he did it for five years, yeah, which is actually longest, second longest. He? I mean, I know... Some people would argue, oh, Sylvester McCoy, but that doesn't count as far as I said, on screen for the longest, second longest amount of time. And I do sometimes wonder if he doesn't get a bit short shrift from people these days. I don't think the Pertwee era generally has aged as well as some other periods of Doctor Who. Yes. I, mean, I think that's partly because of all the contemporary Earth stories. Yes, definitely. And I don't think it's always helped by the fact there are so many six-parters and very few Doctor Who stories have been able to generate six-parters successfully. Yes, and in fact, this was how how many was it? Four parts. Yeah, I think actually all the best. Quite nicely, with a few exceptions of a couple of stories in series seven. I'm thinking Inferno and Doctor and the Silurians. I'm not sure about Ambassadors of Death because I haven't actually seen it. 
generally speaking, there aren't many great Pertwee's six, or in their case, actually seven parters. It, it's difficult to sustain it for over two and a half hours. This is the thing. And I think all my favourite Pertwee stories generally are those four parters. But yeah, I, and I, I feel it's a bit, people are almost a bit unfair because he's not the most alien of doctors. In fact, I say he's, he's one of the most human doctors. Mm. Particularly when you're, you're, you're kind of, before you've got Patrick Troughton and after you've got Tom Baker. Yes. At the same time, I think it'd be wrong to say there isn't a, a Pertwee influence on the Doctor now. I mean, he was the first one to play the Doctor really as a kind of scientific adventurer, as a man of action. Yes. And that's that's still prevalent in the series today. I mean, for example, uh, off the top of my head, New Earth, the scene where Tennant slides down that uh, elevator cable with that kind of makeshift device yes. at full speed. That's pure Pertwee. That is 100% pure Pertwee, that moment. It's funny, actually. I saw a recent interview with Matt Smith where he was saying that he was putting... Uh, he said that uh, he didn't think he was quite at the uh, level of the great doctors by quite a long way. He said he's quite a culty doctor at the moment and one day he would like to ascend to the heights of Tom Baker or... And, and he said John Pertwee. Um, oh, and then I was, well, yeah, I was I mean, quite pleased that he did. Pertwee really picked up the um, ratings yes. because near the end of Trouton's time they were slumping a bit. I tell and... you, Silver Fox, it's all those, you know, mothers watching their children. Uh, you know. And the thing is, I mean, Pertwee wasn't the best actor to take on the role, or he wasn't. I mean, well, he didn't. Have he the most was good at it. No, he. But he, well, and he had he had an air of authority, which I think helped. He certainly did. Which yes, which is good because his doctor was often butting up against authority, but against unit, uh, against government ministers. On the making of documentary here, they were saying that he had some carny uh, roots, which yeah. I thought was quite interesting. I didn't know about that. So well, uh, it, it's, it's. I mean, perhaps we should talk about this this particular fact a bit more when we do Spare from Space, but. But it's interesting, in today's times, if someone like Pertwee was cast as a Doctor, I think there'd be a lot of shock, because before Doctor Who, he was more known as that funny voiceman off the radio, because he did things like the Navy Lark, he yes. did a lot of radio stuff, and people would be like, it's a light comedy actor playing the Doctor, <gasps> you know, and the internet would implode and all that. You know, he did bring a lot of aspects that are still in the Doctor's character today, and I, I do think that get, it gets forgotten, because you've got Baker immediately afterwards. Yes. And... I think probably Baker and Troughton have in some ways been more influential or more people have been more consciously aware of their influence. Like uh, even in the original series, Davison said, you know, he was influenced by Troughton. And bizarrely enough, so did Colin Baker, though I don't see a lot of Troughton in his uh, <laughs> his performance. And I think even Matt Smith said, again, Troughton as an influence. You've got a lot of, they're kind of scientific adventurer, not, not liking violence, but not afraid to get involved if needs be. You know, just a cute little fact, actually. Um, you know that uh, Tom Baker once uh, guest hosted an episode of Have I Got News For You? Yeah, I don't know. Well, think when they did his introduction at the beginning, they had him materialise in there to a TARDIS sound, and then he introduced himself as, uh, Hello, I'm your host of the evening, Tom Baker, and I used to be John Pertry. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Yeah, woo! That's I love brilliant. Have I Got News For You. How do we get onto this? Because we've kind of diverted off the original. But yeah, I know, I'm very fond of basically my. But it was only like my dad's favourite. And this actually is a story. My dad always said, I always like that one. It's a kind of classic thing of people going, oh, you know, like the one with the maggots or yes. <laughs> the one with the vampires or whatever. But he went, oh, the one where these people are on the ship and they're kind of stuck in the time loop. And I realised years later that was kind of all the monsters. It's, it's, it's quite a nice idea, actually. I do like um, the, the whole idea of it. It's, it's a brilliantly simple premise, but a very, very good one. Uh, yeah, it's a great science fiction, little science fiction idea. Yes. You know, the, the, this idea of this machine which stores people and places inside it, kind of miniaturised, is a really, isn't, like, like all the best Doctor Who stories, it's built around a nice, solid science fiction idea. 
Exactly. And actually, um, I know that we've uh, uh, done the Ark previously, and you might remember that in the Ark they yeah, had little people stored away as well. So it's, it's not an entirely new idea to Doctor Who, but the way it was done was fantastic. Well, no, because you've also got uh, the Hartnell story, which, once again, I must admit, I haven't seen. Which I think it's coming out on DVD in the next couple of years. Planet of Giants? I haven't seen that. No, it's a free parter where they all shrink. Oh, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's terrible. You know, look who's doing a Doctor Who podcast, and I haven't seen every Doctor Who episode ever. But I'm, I'm not far off. <laughs> um, uh, so actually, miniaturisation isn't an entirely new idea to Doctor Who. In fact, the Master has a tendency to miniaturise people yes. quite a bit. Yes. But it's still, yeah, it, it's a lot of miniaturisation. N- n- none of the new series. Uh, you know, I've been waiting for someone to shrink. Hasn't happened yet. No, that's because it doesn't actually tend in the great effects Parthenon to translate all that well all the time. There were some quite funny uh, shots in uh, the new series, uh, sorry, not the new series, in... Um, Carnival of Monsters? No, there were some quite uh, funny shots in Carnival of Monsters, uh, which involved interaction between the big people um, outside the uh, miniaturisation machine and the little people on the inside, and there would be like a giant hand and a little model TARDIS <laughs> next to a little model Doctor and Joe. And, 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 I don't you know. think they were models. I think there was actually Joe and oh, Doctor. Really? They, they were kind like of moving. Models. Oh. But I think what it is, it, it's, a, it's chroma key. Or, uh, it's which, brilliant. I I love it. I love it to death. You love the blue screen fuzz line that you get. Yeah, the blue things. screen fuzz line. Oh, but but that that's just the magic, isn't is, it? Is that how you'd like to spend your life with a little uh, chroma key fuzz line around you, or color separation overlay to give it? Uh, yeah, that would be name. fantastic. I could walk down the high street and glow all the time. But if you wore anything blue, you'd become see through. But that would be great too. I could go on a shoplifting spree and nobody would know see-through. it was me. Yeah, it 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 was uh, one of these effects that got used so much. It's almost one of the classic Pertwee signs is, is chroma key being used. No, it's 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 uh, good. It's good. It's very endearing, and you know you you always know what the effect's supposed to be representing. But uh, yes, it's, it's I I think it's just one of those things that uh, it wouldn't necessarily translate that well to the new series. What chroma key? No, not chroma key, shrinking. <laughs> I, so I, stopped paying a, I, stopped, I stopped paying attention. Um, actually, what I meant to. Uh, Thanks, talk, that was really talk. flattering. <laughs> I try. I was going to mention earlier when we were talking about Bob Holmes was the story structure, and this is actually quite interesting because the Doctor and Joe are in, are in the miniscope right up until the end of episode three, where the Doctor gets out just at the cliffhanger, kind of. And so before, in those first three episodes, You've almost got, I don't know, parallels the right word, but all these parallel storylines of the Doctor yes. Joe and the miniscope and Vorg and his assistant with the is his assistant Trina or something? Yes. Um, kind of battling wits with the uh, bureaucrat- bureaucratic aliens, and and it says a lot again for Bill Holmes's writing and what I was saying about the double acts and stuff. That though those scenes are still as entertaining and as fun to watch, even though for three episodes they they don't feature any of the regular characters. That we know they don't yeah. do uh, any of the kind of audience identification characters. No, that's true. Uh, it says a lot for the actor playing Vorg as well, how good he is. And Vorg's assistant was a hottie, hottie. She had like these really cute diamonds on her face and like her outfit. Okay, I wouldn't wear it, but it was really good fun. Like you could tell that they were supposed to be circus type people, and um, she had all these little bobbly things on her head. And every time her head moved, they went bibble bobble. And I just made a little hand action what, as well. What, 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 what did they go every time she moved her head? I oh, shut up. <laughs> Move on Hours quickly. of fun. This actually does have a connection to the new series, though, doesn't it? Because 
as you know, because we both went, when they did the Dot 2 Live, Here Comes the Monsters, it's actually a sequel to Carnival of Monsters. Uh, yes. We, we went because I, I got given tickets for my birthday, uh, two tickets, and the only person I knew who was uh, really into Dot 2 who I knew would like it um, was Andy, so I had to take it. I didn't have a <laughs> choice, really. It was a very enjoyable show. I mean, it, we, we, we had a lot of fun. It was very enjoyable, and I don't know if it was through thoughtfulness on the part of the uh, ticket people, but I think we were sitting next to the only two other grown-ups who were there without small children, and I totally wore my Tom Baker scarf, but um, no, it, it was really good. All the monsters came down into the audience and swooped up to the children and terrified them, and, and I'm doing my swoopy arm motions and you can't um, see that again, either. No, no one can see. <laughs> um, well, there has been a request for us to do a video blog. Oh, has there? Yes, I think maybe to see you do your interesting dance, which you mentioned oh. in the previous episode. Oh dear. Oh god. Yeah, may maybe we'll put that on our Tumblr. Maybe I'll do the interesting dance for you and then we can put that on our Tumblr. I would be completely up for that. But, but yeah, so it, it, it's, no it's fun that romantic. this is such a. Maybe. This is such a. Anyway, as I was saying, so you've got the connection that actually it turns out. Uh, what was it called? Here Comes the Monsters? Yeah, yes, so I think it was like actually. And know, it was the great Vorgenstein. Yeah, and it's Vorg. It's, it actually it's turns out it's Vorgenstein because I remember watching it, thinking this is a lot like Carnival of Monsters. Oh, that's cool. They obviously just kind of took it as a as a principal refer. And he even said something. He said something about it being a Carnival of Monsters. Yes. I thought, oh, that's a clever little reference. Like, like that's like one point. I think on the Daleks. That, spoilers: Daleks turn up in it. I know, shocking. Who'd have thought? Um, said something about it being the destiny of the Daleks, and I was like, oh, that's a nice. Was, Nice reference, but then it turned out that yes, he is playing Vogue's son. Seriously, he has his own money, you should have seen the look on Adam's face when he realised he'd like looked absolutely delighted, and I think he might actually have grabbed my arm. And he sort of like looked up, waiting for everyone else in the audience to realise, you know, the same thing. <laughs> and we, and, and it nobody was only else two, did. It, it was only the two people next to us who probably yeah, who got the reference. Have the same realisation, and it was quite good. There was there was another bit as but, well, actually, where they were doing a montage um, on. on because the, there was a, a screen they had of all the uh, previous doctors and the regenerations and the I regenerations I was the only person who cheered when Sylvester McCoy appeared yeah no seriously um, they put it on and I went hell yeah William Hartnell really loudly and there was just absolute silence across the rest of the uh, auditorium and um, and and, and uh, it got to Paul McGann and I went oh no and, and I could feel people looking at me and then it got to like Christopher Eccleston and there was a bit of applause and then it was David Tennant and all the kids the in the exploded. audience went nuts and I tell you I felt a bit like that scene from Spaced, if there are any Spaced fans here, where Tim starts berating a seven-year-old for wanting the Jabba the Hot Doll. I was kind of like, Doctor Who's been around before, David Tennant, you couldn't you, you just give a polite round of applause? You can't expect, they're only... I know! Young. You can't expect them to have collected an entire classic DVD collection that you're like, when the but people are like, you can't be a fan unless you've been... Where are their parents in all of this? Well... I hate to say, a lot of the parents might not have watched Doctor Who. You know, we have to accept. Some, some of the parents might have grown up when it wasn't on. Don't destroy my dreams, Adam. No. Well, it's back on now. That's the important thing. <laughs> it's a nice little thing that that was a sequel to this story. And the story was obviously well-remembered enough that they thought they'd go for it. And it makes sense as the sequel, you know. I guess that means the uh, Doctor Who Live is canon. I wonder if that makes every... I bet there's somebody trying to work out how every single performance of it can fit into the canon. Every yeah. 30 performances. We can make this work. It's like the people would go, right, so Human Nature was adapted from the New Adventure book, but maybe we can make it so they both happen. So it's like, so the Doctor had the same adventure twice. 
and didn't notice. <laughs> you know, but you know what I've said before, I continuity canon, it's all the doctor doesn't have continuity, he has discontinuity. That's what yeah. you have to accept. But I, I like the idea of somebody desperately trying to work out how they can make all the performances fit not just like the show in general, every single show has to count as a as it actually happened. That that kind of thought keeps me warm at night. Something that's quite fun in this story is seeing uh, Pertwee and Manning having what looks like a boot off as they're both wearing uh, knee-high boots pretty yes. much. I have to admit, I was um, spent uh, quite a lot of that show thinking, is that a fashion do or a don't? I really liked Katie Manning's outfit. I thought it looked very, very modern. But I didn't like the fact that she was wearing sort of like turn-up pedal pushers with the boots, I think, and, and tights underneath so that when she bent her knees you could see that she was wearing these funny blue tights underneath. And I think if they were skinny jeans tucked into boots, and then I do have to remind myself that this is 1973, and <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, yeah, but, but yeah, Manning. I love you, Manning. I do. I was also, we watched the uh, making of, and I was also highly amused to find out that apparently she was the one making the chicken sounds with the chickens in the first episode. Yes, apparently it's one of her talents has been able to make chicken sounds without moving her lips. Great, great uh, ability to have and nicely used. Also, worth mentioning, uh, Ian Martyr's first story, not as Harry, but playing a very Harry-like character, playing um, one of the, the ship, well, it's not the captain, but officers yes. on the ship. Uh, the ship, uh, I don't think we mentioned this, the ship's from 1926. It's the SS Bernice. And it's been Apparently it's a real ship that disappeared. Oh, really? Which kind of suggests that in the Doctor Who world, it got restored or they got eaten by the... Because the, the, it's whether actually, so, so there's something else that Andy forgot in her plot synopsis. <laughs> but the, the ship is at one point randomly menaced by, not by a drashing, but by actually by a dinosaur, which you presume they just scooped up as well. Yes. And uh, you presume went back to its own time at the end, but you don't know, but... Yeah, it, it, he plays, a, it's a very kind of proto-Harry role and so that kind of stiff upper lip Englishman. Yes, and you much. can see when they created the character of Harry, where well, they must have thought of him as being a guy who could play it. He looked very dashing in his uh, sailor's uniform as well. Sorry, I keep dragging this down to... No, no, you can, say, you, can, you, you, can say, you can say the word dashing, that's fine. That's, that's acceptable. I'm, I'm a little bit worried that we might finish this podcast and, and it won't avert as a split tag. The split tag. Oh, explicit. Explicit. Shut up! Shut up! Sorry, that is the sound of me beating Adam in the background. Uh, what you can't see is the enjoyment on his face. I'm editing that bit out. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, basically, as I was, we were talking before we started this podcast, I was a bit worried we wouldn't really have a lot to say in some ways because it's such a good story. They're, they're almost... It's a lot of fun. I recommend it to anyone who wants to check out a bit of Pertwee Doctor. Certainly uh, on the Revisitations 2 box set, which is where I got my DVD from, at between this, Seeds of Death, and Resurrection of the Daleks. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? Yeah. This is definitely the strongest story in there. Absolutely, yes. by by a mile. And certainly my favourite in, in, in the box set. But there's almost not... I think we managed to do all right, actually, talking about it. We got more than I thought we would, just because it's so well made, so well done... Well, yes, it's that's not it. greatly I mean, significant in, in, in Dot 2 lore, but it is just a very solid, very well done, it light-hearted... Does, it's just, it does, it, it's well-written, it just goes on, it, it does what it's supposed to do. It's very entertaining. I'm sure that the kids found the monsters quite terrifying. Um, I found them very cute. Um, everyone's happy. And this is the thing, it's... Um, I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. So, yeah, uh, anyway, I think the next one we're going to do is... 
the trees won't hurt you. No, yeah. Mark of the Rani. Uh, as I'm thinking of subtitling it, great villain shit writers. Yes, I have to admit, if, if we were thought that uh, uh, we wouldn't necessarily uh, be making a great long podcast about Carnival of Monsters, then uh, we will certainly be probably going a little bit over for uh, Mark and Rani because I'm already already thinking about all the things I could say about it, and uh, I, I haven't even rewatched it with Adam yet. So uh, yes, we shall see. Anyway, you can uh, contact us in various internet fashions. Uh, you can email us at nakedscarf at gmail.com we have a tumblr at nakedscarf.tumblr.com and we're on twitter as at nakedscarf please feel free to uh, get in contact say hello leave us an itunes review if you like or if you really want to then you could send us a picture of you naked wearing a doctor who scarf we'd love that 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 no. that practically counts as fan art no because let's be honest i check the email i do the twitter account I'd be the one. I'm sure you're all beautiful people, but I, I'm a very sensitive soul in some ways, and I'd I, 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 I like to control how much nudity I see in the world. Come on, people. Make sure that, you know, that's beyond his control. It'll brighten my day. Okay, folks. Take care. <laughs>